Well, praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome to Apostolic Bible Study Time. We're here studying the book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 2, picking up in verse 5 today. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, our email is apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. That's apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash apostolicbiblestudytime. And we also have a website. If you would go over to the blog and click on that, you will see the scriptures that go along with today's lesson. And the website is apostolicbiblestudytime.org. So we're going to jump into this today. We're going to finish out chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. I believe last time we left off at uh, verse 6. But he says here, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Uh, They're quoting from the Psalm 8, and I hate to differ from those that uh, have done the research, but there's people that feel that that is a messianic psalm speaking of the coming Messiah, But when I read that, uh, again, this is Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man, you see this is verbatim. The son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, as I said, that that is practically verbatim for what we just read in the book of Hebrews. But the reason why I differ and I don't see this as a messianic prophecy is the very nature of man. Let's go over to Genesis, the second chapter, and I'll try to articulate this. I'll I'll try to put it out there plain enough. But Genesis, the second chapter, the 15th verse, we're going to read down through 20. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not an helpmeet a helpmeet for him. So, I mean, clearly God intended for Adam to have dominion over the earth. So if we look at Psalm 8 and we put it in the context of the first man, Adam, instead of the second man, Adam, it makes sense. I hope you're following along with what I'm saying here. It would make sense for this to be about mankind in general because indeed we are created a little lower than the angels. Now this could be a prophecy with uh, dual fulfillment. 
that wouldn't be the, the first time it's happened in Scripture. But when I read this, I, I just think of mankind in general. But we are in the state we are in, and we need a Savior. Uh, verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the work of thy hands. These things are all very true of mankind in general. That's the reason when we look around and we see what dismal shape our planet is in, well, th there's one big reason why it's in such bad shape. That is because mankind are lousy stewards with God's gifts. And that's a whole deep subject for another time, but it is still very true any way you want to look at it. But again, I just believe that this is talking about mankind in general. Uh, verse 8 now, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus. This is verse 9 now. But we see Jesus. So we're mankind here, and we are on this planet, and we're supposed to be the caretakers. God has created us above all the animals. He has created us with an intellect, and he has created us with, well, we're created in the image of God. God built. God spoke this world into existence. And mankind as a species, we have the desire to build things. We have the desire to create things. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing, but it's still just a stated fact. But we are a fallen part of the creation. We go back and we look and we see what the planet was like in the early days with Adam and then God took the rib out of Adam and he created Eve, but we see the shape the earth was in at that time and it was perfect. It was perfect. At the end of each day when God created it, it says God looked on what he created and it was good. But now, look what we have. We, we have death has entered into the world. Mankind, where I don't read about Adam ever worrying about dying, but then he committed the sin. He committed the trespass against the Lord. All of mankind had fallen, and we were waiting from the time of the prophecy in Genesis, the third chapter, up until the time of Christ. We were waiting on the Messiah to come and rescue us from the death that disobedience to God had brought upon us. That's the reason in verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now, obviously, this is speaking about the flesh, okay? Um, I don't ever want to sound like I'm putting Jesus lower than he was. The, the scripture I love to quote so often is Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But when Jesus was on this earth, he was... Uh, I hate to put it this way, and I might lose listeners, but that flesh was like a Tupperware bowl. It had the containment of the Godhead on the inside. And then we go to John and we look, uh, he, he was crucified, but when Mary came to the grave and Jesus had been resurrected, he said, touch me not. 
for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But then uh, the same chapter, a little bit later, he's standing there before Thomas, and he says, put your fingers in the nail prints and thrust your hand in my side and believe but not fear. So something had happened and that flesh had become glorified and changed. But he had flesh the same way that we have flesh. But he came down and he became part of his creation in that he partook of the flesh. He partook of our nature. He had the same inklings that you have. He, he had the same desires you have. He, he, had, he, he probably wanted to get married and have children, and, but he knew that he couldn't because he knew that he was here for a reason. He knew that he was here for a purpose, but there was things we know. I mean, he ate and he drank. He wasn't like the Gnostics tried to make him as they tried to say that he was here but he was just like a disembodied spirit walking around. Well, no, no. John shoots that down. He says, if you don't agree that Jesus Christ is coming the flesh, then you're not of God. You don't even know God if you don't believe that Jesus came down in the flesh. Uh, we quoted this, I believe, last week. First uh, Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was was manifest in the flesh. So we see this being, this one that spoke this whole world, he came down and became Jehovah's salvation. He came down and he became Jehovah's salvation. But he was tempted just like we are. In, in the book of James, uh, the, the first chapter, verses 13 through 15, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he was drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we were sold under bondage because of the first man, Adam. We were under bondage to death our entire lives. We were under bondage to our lusts and what this flesh wanted to do. But now we see Jesus. He came down as the, like in the Old Testament, uh, Ruth and Boaz. He was our kinsman redeemer. He came down when we were in bondage to our sin. We were in bondage to the will of the flesh, and he paid the price to redeem us out of that bondage, and he didn't leave us there, but he made us his own, and that's where we are now. But the uh, Romans, the sixth chapter, the 23rd verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We look at this and we see where we were. We were without hope. We were absolutely without hope. But now, when we had no hope, now we have hope in Christ Jesus. Which again, verse 9, that is why it is such a blessing when he says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. That flesh that he had, obviously you can't kill a spirit, but that flesh that he had, he suffered death. Okay, finish the rest of the verse here. 
crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 4 and 5, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We look at first man Adam. We look at the second man Adam, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. We look at the state that we as human beings were in. If he would not have come down and taken our punishment, if he wouldn't have taken that upon himself, then we would still be in bondage. We would still be doomed and on our way to hell, especially being Gentiles. We had no right to the tree of which now we are part of. We, we had no right. We were Gentiles. But Romans, the 11th chapter, makes it plain that we were that wild olive branch, but we have been grafted in to the good olive tree, which means we have become the seed of Abraham through Christ. But uh, he was being crucified here in Matthew, the 27th chapter, the 33rd and 34th verses, it says, And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, and they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. When he was hanging on that cross, when he took our punishment, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. When he he took that punishment, he would not take that drink that they were trying to give him because it, it was almost like a narcotic. It, it would dull the pain, but he was receiving our punishment. He could not dull receiving that punishment. We read on down here, verses 46, it says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Okay, now the way this would start out, we would start out, the first hour would be 6 a.m. So we're over about what we would call 3 o'clock now. He's been hanging on this cross for about nine hours, and it says, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by when they heard that, they said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So he would not take anything to dull that pain, but then right before he died in the book of John, it says he uttered the words, it is finished. It is finished. He had purchased our salvation. He had broken the curse of sin that had been put over on mankind. The book of Romans says how that by one man's sin, speaking of Adam, how by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Well, friend, we just read in Hebrews here that he came and he tasted death 
for every man. Continuing on here in verse 10, it says, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now we'll read the World of Flame Study Bible note here. I, I like the way they put it, but this is quoted out of the World of Flame Apostolic Study Bible. It says, since sin in its origin and effect is essentially a human problem, only a human being could solve it. But the difficulty was that all human beings were marred by sin, and thus no one was qualified to reverse the effects of sin inaugurated by Adam. God determined the only fitting way to carry out his salvific plan was to lead these human sons to glory by a captain who was like them in every way except by participation in the sin nature. Okay, you remember back there in Genesis, the third chapter, when God had come down and he saw Adam and Eve in sin and how they had made themselves aprons out of fig leaves. And God says, no, that's not going to do. He says, you've eaten of that tree, haven't you? But the prophecy over the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That's the reason Jesus came down and was born of a virgin. He didn't have Adam's shortcomings passed down father to offspring, father to offspring. Jesus was the seed of the woman. We know biologically the seed is of the man. But when the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, something happened on the inside of her and she was found with child. So when we read that, he was made perfect and he came and he took his place on the cross, which was actually our place, he came down and he became sin, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He became sin that knew no sin. Well, he became sin for us. He took upon himself the curse that came through sin. But he came down. He was not of the seed of Adam. He was of the seed of the woman. Okay, um, but his suffering and his death on the cross completed his human experience. He, he didn't come down here to see how the little people live and then right before it was time to die, change his mind. But what happened? Matthew 26, 36 through 42, Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And he went again, away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, just like our flesh, our flesh has things it wants to do. The human flesh does not want to die. That's the reason he came down and he tasted death for you. He tasted death for me. This flesh does not want to die, but now when you are in Christ, death is no longer an obstacle. Death is no longer something that we look at and we, we believe that we're going to encounter, that we begin to be fearful of. That, that's something I, I don't mean to put this in an insulting way, but we either believe this or we don't. We might as well go get drunk and watch football like the world. We either believe this or we don't believe this. If you do not believe he took your death, well, then what are you doing calling yourself a follower of Jesus? If you don't believe he took your death, and I know that might sound kind of brutal, but and I understand, I, I do, I understand that sometimes we're not fasted up, sometimes we're not prayed up, sometimes we're, we're just not where we should be in God, and things will happen, and we'll believe, well, oh, I've got a pain in my back. Is that cancer? Is that lung cancer coming on? You know, I think the devil just chases people around to the point where they're chasing their tail. But we either believe this thing or we do not believe this thing. Either we believe the Lord's will will be done in our life. You know, the, the people that believe what we believe 40 years ago, the best quote I have heard, talking about we as apostolics, he said, you know, years ago, apostolics preached against insurance. Now we sell it. And that's just the mindset. Everything has changed. The early Christians in the time of Nero, he would take them out. Well, obviously not Nero himself, but he would have his soldiers do it. They would take Christians and they would tie them to poles and dip them on oil and light them on fire. Those were Roman candles burning people alive. And they still would not deny their God. They accepted their death because they knew death no longer has a hold on a child of God. Paul says over here in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, he says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I know I might sound a little brutal on these things, and maybe I'm offending someone here. I, I don't know, but we believe that there is something greater for us 
on the other side. Am I saying we should be like some and worship death? No. But at the same time, I'm telling you, you should have no fear of death. And I do have an idea what I'm talking about. He says here in verse 11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He came down. He took upon him the, the nature of the seed of Abraham. He came down. He was of the line of Shem, and later he was of the line of David. He came down. He was the rightful king of Israel. We read in John, I believe it's the sixth chapter, after he had fed the 5,000, and they were coming to take and make him a king. According to his lineage, he had the right to wear that crown. He was of the seed of David. But just like when he stood before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate says, well, what, are you a king then? And Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But now is not my kingdom from hence. Speaking of his kingdom, now we can read in all kinds of places, we understand what is going to happen when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, and we understand what is going to happen when that door closes and nobody else is going to get saved. Jesus Christ is going to come down. Jesus Christ is going to overthrow the armies of this world, and where the Jews had looked at him as the one that had been the Messiah, and they looked for him to have a sword, and they looked for him to be riding a war horse into battle, but what they got was John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, that man on the war horse, that man with the sword, is who they're going to get the second time. He came down, and he released us from bondage as our kinsman redeemer, but the next time when he comes back, he's not dying for anyone's sins. He's already done that. You are either on the Lord's side or you are not on the Lord's side, and you're not going to like where you go if you are not on the Lord's side. He is going to return, and he is going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. Uh, verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Like I said, he came down, he took upon him the nature of mankind, the seed of Abraham, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That, that's something I preach often in the church. People think, well, you know, I'm going to go to church and I've, I've got this on my mind and you know what, I'm just so troubled in my thoughts and the, you know, like people have problems with lust. Well, they say, well, you know, I mean, I, I've got, I, I don't want to take this to God. I, mean, I got news for you. He already knows. He knows what problems you have. Well, you, you know, I mean, I, I've got this problem with gluttony. Well, so don't probably about seven-tenths of us. But he knows. He was in the middle of it. He put flesh around himself. He was born to Mary. He came. He understood. And although I don't re read about him rebelling against his parents. We find out in the book of Luke about the age of 12 years old, he went home with Mary and Joseph and he was subject unto them. But do you not think in his teenage years that 
desire might have been there. I mean, we don't think of Jesus like this. Jesus is 30 years old, wandering around Judea, wandering around Galilee, and a lot of times they were sleeping outside. Well, 30 years old, he's not an old man by any means, but, you know, he probably woke up a few mornings and he was stiff. He probably woke up, and I mean, he had to work the stiffness out, and, oh, my back! He knows what your back feels like. It's such an experience that he had. He's not ashamed to call you, whoever you are that's listening. If you have been baptized in his name, if you have been filled with his spirit, he's not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister. You don't need to try to keep secrets from God. You don't have any anyway. He knows already. He knows what your problems are, whether it's a physical ailment. He knows. Bring it to him. Pray about it. Whether it's something you're wrestling with in the flesh. Well, he knows. Maybe you've fallen into pornography. You wouldn't believe some of the statistics that are out there for pornography. People that are supposed to be children of God getting wrapped up in that. But if you're wrapped up in that he knows take it to him there's a reason why he is not ashamed to call us brethren he knows about your shortcomings and he will help you he will help you you know that that's something I have wrestled my entire life. When I graduated high school, I was 165 pounds. And then I got married, and the next thing you know, I look like Shamu. But I have wrestled with gluttony my entire life. But it is something that I have prayed about and something I have wrestled with. Do you not think God looked down and knew I was fat? I've had help with that lately. But he knows. He knows what you're going through. Just take it to him. Jesus said if you bring something to God and you ask in faith except expecting to receive, you will receive what you have asked for. If you need help, God, I need bailed out. Or maybe it's finances. God, I'm about bankrupt. What am I going to do here? That would look terrible for a child of God. He knows. He knows. Take it to him. Take it to him. He'll help you in ways that you could not imagine. He will help you. Maybe you've got a, a physical ailment and you're worried about what's going to happen to you. Take it to him. Take it to him in faith. I'm right now, I'll share a little something personal with you that I have struggled with. I was getting ready to start this podcast, and we're, this is what, episode five, I believe it is. And right as I was beginning with the podcast, I went to get a new pair of glasses to the eye doctor, and I find out that I'm going to be blind in my right eye. And then later on, as uh, with my own research, I, I find out I'll probably be blind in my left eye too. But, you know, I mean, I take that to God. God, I trust you. I, I know good and well you called me, and you didn't call me as a blind man. But I come to God with this, and I am going to keep working for God, and I'm going to keep praying about this. I, I could deal with the fact that I was going to lose one eye, but the thought of losing both of them kind of shook me 
Well, it, it didn't kind of shake me. It shook me to the core. And I don't mean to put personal things because this is a Bible study. I'm just telling you, just like Jesus knows where you're at when you're needing help, I know where you're at. It's you're, you're not alone in your struggles. You're not alone in what you go through. You have a God that loves you enough to come down and die for you. Whether you're struggling with sin or whether you're struggling with finances or whether you're struggling with a, a physical ailment, He knows and He is there to help. He is there to help you. He's there to help me. That is the whole point of this. We're nothing outside of Jesus. I don't understand the backslider. I don't understand those that fall away and walk away from God and think they're going to be something in this world because they're going to die. They might live to a ripe old age, but when they die, they die. I mean, that, that, that's an eternal punishment that they are going to enter into. I don't understand that. When we can take what is our stumbling block before us, He will help you through. He will help you in ways that you cannot even imagine. But He says, saying in verse 12, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now hold on. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We live in a world where people go to extraordinary means to just live an extra year, to just live maybe a few extra months. They go through extraordinary means and they go through I mean, punishments in the flesh. When if you know Christ, well, I mean, when your time comes to go be with him, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. The, the people that don't know Jesus, the people that are without hope, they are out there. They are out there right now and they're stumbling around, groping in the darkness, looking for a way to extend their life, looking for a way to leave a name behind them, looking for a way, maybe through their children, maybe do some great thing. Some great things already be done. We are in Christ now. We are in Christ. You, you, you've gotten a new name. You are in Christ. That, that's I am Brother Jason Jesus. I am in Christ. I'm with him. I, I have no need to fear death. I have no need to fear whatever the enemy will throw at me. I have no need to fear what the flesh will throw at me because he has conquered death. Paul says in Philippians, the first chapter, the 21st verse, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now remember Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had purged him by himself our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you remember we talked about this? When he sat down that signifies that the works were finished. Whatever you need it is finished. We could go back to Leviticus. I don't read about a lazy boy recliner being in the tabernacle because the job of the priest was never over with. It was always another sacrifice. But when Jesus sat down on God's right hand, that is a figure of speech, it means the works were finished. It was over. It was done, and you put your trust in that. Whatever is ailing you today, whatever's got you scared, whatever you're struggling with, put your hope in Jesus, and my goodness, folks, talk to him about it. He gave us prayer for our sakes. He knows what you need, but he gave us prayer for our sakes so we can talk to him. So we can work these things out and so he can answer and increase your faith. Verse 18, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Psalm 46 verses 1 through 5, the writer says, God is our refuge and strength. Why don't we run there more often? That was Brother Jason, not Brother David. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. Meditate on this. Verse 4, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. Do you need help today? Do you need something for God? Ask Him. Our email address is apostolic Bible study time at gmail.com. That's apostolic Bible study time at gmail.com. But God will get you through it. God will get me through it. You know what? As the old song says, I read the back of the book and we win. Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. Well, this is Brother Jason coming to you again from the Gaffney Bible Fellowship. And I just want to remind you that Jesus is not in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. Colossians 2 and 9, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Lord willing, we'll be back with you next week. Goodbye and God bless. and the end. The living word
perfection, our righteousness and power. Yeah. 